name is Kirk Kirkland, and this is the story, the hardest thing my family and I ever attempted. Uh, we were crazy enough to leave everything to move to Cincinnati to plant a church. My wife was nine months pregnant. We just had enough money to kind of pay the rent and survive and put food on the table. We only had just a few pieces of furniture. I remember we had a dining room table, a bed, and just somewhere to lay our, our child. We did not know one person who lived in the city. We didn't have a denomination. We didn't have a network behind us. We were very much on an island, but we were so compelled that we were um, following Jesus. And we advertised for our first service on uh, Easter of 2013, and 66 people from the city showed up on that very first day. I got counsel from another pastor who had made a similar journey, and he says, have you ever heard of North American Mission Board and support what you're doing of planting multiple churches? So we re-looked at what it meant to be to be a missionary. We realized that we didn't have to do it alone. And so we voted to plan another church and to join the Southern Baptist Convention. We said that, let's do this again. What we've seen God do, God can do it again in the suburbs. And so we committed to planning the second church. Now we're a part of a wider community and family, and we know that we're better together. Um, the training that we've received is the way that we plant churches. When you give to missions, we plant the next church. We go to the next town. We go to the next village. And when you give, lives are changed, plain and simple.
Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church. I'm so glad you chose to worship with us today as we again look at the book, the letter of 1 Peter. We live in unprecedented times. Certainly throughout history, there have been epidemics and health issues that have riddled the world. However, this one is a little different in that we live in a culture of convenience. We live in a culture of comfort. And so therefore, we expect certain things to be part of our lives. See, we have gotten to the place now where the advancements in our society and in our culture have pushed us to to expect certain things. So advancement pushes expectation. When Peter writes his letter, um, he may have had certain things in mind and he wanted to communicate those to this church, these exiles that were far away from what their normal was. I was reading this past week an article from the state of Tennessee that talked about the number of suicides and the number of coronavirus deaths that took place. And they said that suicides outnumber coronavirus deaths in that particular state. And I don't know if that's true as of today, but I know that when the article was written, there was a comparison. And the mayor of of Knox County said this. He says, how can we respond to COVID-19 in a way that keeps our economy intact, keeps people employed, and empowers our people with a feeling of hope and optimism, not desperation and despair? I want you to notice four words in his quote, because those are very important to what we're talking about this morning. The words hope, optimism, desperation, and despair. All four of those are emotions that we naturally have because of the situation regarding the coronavirus. However, notice also that Peter, in his letter to the exiles, addresses the same things. He says in verse 3 that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ and that we have an eternal inheritance through Him. And so verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 explain to us that we have a living hope and that we have an inheritance that does not fade. This this particular week has been a very difficult week. I've gotten um, kind of frustrated in the situations, whether it be the store or just staying home and communication and all those kind of things. And And it's been a a very tough week, and I needed to hear the message that Peter was sending to the exiles. It was a personal thing for me that I needed to hear those. Because there are certain things that speak to our lives that help us cope with whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstances are. There are two things that I realize that principally we need to understand and we need to live out. The first one is this. Christians are called to live for something greater than what they see. They're called to live for something greater than what they see. In other words, the things that are around you right now 
are not the most important things in life. The second thing is to trust someone greater than anyone else you know. See, we can look to friends, we can look to um, co-workers, we can look to a lot of different places. We can even look to those within the church, but there is no one greater that we can count on than the Lord Jesus Christ and Him in our lives. And so when we go through this, this book of First Peter, this letter, and we read the passage that we're going to read today, we have to understand that there is something bigger than us and someone greater than us. Now, here's a false teaching or a fallacy that many ascribe to, is that when you come to know Jesus Christ, your life will be easier. Your life will be, be rosy, and God will make everything smooth for you if you try and live for Him. Well, see, you will never experience greater satanic attack and heavy spiritual warfare than at the place where you are living for God. And so we could think it's going to be greater or think it's going to be easier, but it, but it won't be because of the spiritual warfare. We have to understand that Satan wants one thing and he is adamantly opposed to what God wants. He's adamantly opposed to God's glory. And so when we talk about suffering in this particular section of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, we're talking about suffering. We are not going to try and describe the origins of suffering this morning. We're not going to talk about that because there are a lot of different places you can go with it. But we're going to look at the idea of suffering, and then we're going to look at the person in whom we trust. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for, for the fact that you are faithful and trustworthy. We thank you that you are not just those, but you are almighty and sovereign. And us, as your kids, are protected and lifted up by the power of you. And so, Father, we pray that as we go through this particular part of 1 Peter chapter 4, that you will teach us, you will comfort us, you will pour grace on us, and you will bring an amount of peace in our lives in the midst of chaotic and, and strange circumstances. And so, Father, we pray that you would work this morning for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll start at verse 12, the first thing that we have to understand is that fiery trials will test us. Fiery trials will test us. Look at 1 Peter 4.12. It says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And so the first thing that Peter addresses in this is just his relationship to the exiles. He's, he calls them beloved. He wants them to understand that he has a heart and a passion for them. And he wants them to understand that what he's going to share is not something out of the ordinary, it's something that they need to hear, but they need to hear it from the heart of love. And so he calls them beloved. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. That, that word surprise is to be astonished or to be in shock. And then Peter uses the word fiery trial. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Peter is insensitive 
to what the exiles had seen before they left Rome. Because you remember, Nero was taking Christians and persecuting them, and one of the ways he did that was to use them as living torches in his garden. So, so we could say, Peter, you're being super insensitive at this point. You shouldn't have used those words because it will, it will just stir up a, a flood of emotions among the exiles. Well, that, that may be true, but we have to understand, this is why Peter calls them beloved. He wants them to understand. And he also wants them to catch a visual or a picture of what the, the seriousness of fiery trial is. And so he gives them this, this vivid picture, this pointed, serious wording here in this letter to help them understand what they're going to be going through. And so the question for us is, does the coronavirus, does that measure up to fiery trial that Peter addresses? If we're going to apply what Peter wrote to the exiles and, and apply it to our culture today, does the coronavirus um, meet that standard or raise up to that standard? You see, the, the difference might be is that Peter is writing to a group of Christians in, in Asia Minor. And he's writing to them about a particular thing. And we, when we look at our coronavirus, um, this pandemic, what we're finding is that it affects everyone, not just Christians. So we could say in some ways it is a fiery trial for Christians, but in some ways it's just a trial for everyone. Well, James 1-2, he writes this, he, he uses that same word trial in the count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance. So here in this verse, it says, don't be surprised or astonished or shocked at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? to test you, to test you. Now, here's, here's our problem. We don't like testing. We don't like this verse because we naturally seek to avoid what is painful and unwanted. Vernon Brewer said it this way. He says, we bypass painful circumstances. So we would rather go the long way around a particular idea or a particular circumstance than to go through it because through it means pain, around it means we get to avoid that. It's like the same thing with traffic, we go around the traffic. And so we have to see this from a different angle, understanding that as we go through it, there is a purpose in it. So as we go through fiery trial, or as we go through suffering, there is a purpose to it. Paul did the same thing when he was encouraging believers about the idea of death and those that may be in the family that die, he says, we do not grieve as those with no hope. And so we don't go through suffering as those with no hope. And so if, if we read this, we look at this, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Now, when we talk about testing, we're talking about a couple of things. The, the word test means to put to proof. It means to test the fidelity of something. It is the idea of figuring out whether it is authentic or genuine. Um, I brought something with me this morning, and uh, I want to show you the, the real thing is in my hand. It's a, a baseball card of Sammy Sosa. This is a, 
a picture of it so you can see it a little bit better. And um, I don't know really how much this card is worth. I do know that it's encased. It's perfect. Um, I don't even know where I bought it, but I, and I don't know what it's worth. So we could check the genuineness or the authenticness of this card, but we'd have to go so, to some place or to someone that's an expert at it. And if we're going to talk about fiery trial to test you, we go to God and we say, God, I understand the test. I need to understand me in the middle of this test. So as I'm going through the fiery trial to test or check the authenticity of me, I get to measure it against who God is and his word. And so we check the authenticness. And so we have to understand that, that we will be tested. Fiery trials will test us. The, the key is for us not to be traumatized, but to be gratified. It's, it's a transition from being traumatized to rejoicing. And that's what we find in the next verse. When we look, number two is God's Spirit rests on us. God's Spirit rests on us. In this next verse, verse 13, it says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. But rejoice insofar as you share. What does it mean to share in Christ's sufferings? In fact, how can I even rejoice about suffering just in and of itself? Because Peter's word here doesn't seem to make much sense. To rejoice in suffering, those seem like they're on two different sides of, of a, a timeline or, a, or a, a coin or whatever you want to call it, but they don't seem to match up. Well, what Peter is writing here, he's saying this is not the kind of joy that you would express in winning a championship game or accomplishing some great feat. It is a joy that is wrought from within because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing that the suffering and the trial is temporary. The test is temporary. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. So Peter is giving us a reason for us to rejoice. That we share in Christ's sufferings. That word share comes from the same word we get koinonia. It's to fellowship or have the same um, commonality as Christ or be related or connected to Christ in his sufferings. This is what Paul wrote in Colossians 1.24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And we read that and we think it kind of strange, what's lacking in Christ's sufferings. And it doesn't mean that Christ's sufferings was not enough, that Paul needed to do something in addition to it. What it meant was that Paul was going to encounter sufferings as he shared the gospel. And so as Christ suffered, Paul would come behind him and he said, basically, my, my suffering is going to be a completion of what God is doing in my life as I share the gospel and go through different fiery trials that will test me and purify me. And so my sufferings are not yet complete, but they are here to help the church. And then we rejoice. We rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. 
Well, so when, when Jesus comes back, His glory is revealed, right? So when we get to that place, we trust that all those sufferings will have had purpose in our lives. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8, and this is just part of it, and we un- 1 Thessalonians is written to a group of Christians that is also suffering, and they're going through persecution. And he gets down to verse 7, he says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the Lord Jesus. We, we look at that and we say we are not part of the judgment of God that will be the ultimate judgment on those that don't know Christ. But we are part of that group that has gone through the suffering secured by Christ and by His Holy Spirit. And we can rejoice at that point that all suffering and all pain and all testing is over. And so we, we say that we are blessed we are blessed, and we're blessed by God's presence. Look, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of, the, of glory and of God rests upon you. So what does, it, what does this mean? It's blessed and rest. What does it mean? Well, the rest means that it would cease from movement. That it would be placed on and not altered. Catch what this is saying here in this verse. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So as you're going through this fiery trial, and part of it may be insults from those that don't know Christ, that we have to understand that God has placed His Spirit of glory and Himself on us. And it rests on us. So as much as we may move, God's Spirit lands on us and it doesn't move. When I, when I think about this verse, I think about the, the weight of what we are dealing with our coronavirus and, and just the, the inability to move. See, it would be easy if we said we, nothing happens in our life and we don't move at all and God's Spirit just stays there. It's as we're going through all the different circumstances of life, God is willing to place His Spirit and allows us to rest in His glory. To rest in the One who has all control and is sovereign. So when we look at this verse, we can say that we rest. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus reiterated that and He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, this may be a great time in, in our culture right now to take time to rest and rejoice and refresh. You know, we can do some movement and we can do some serving, but there are parts of this because we want to protect those around us. And we want to be cognizant of the authorities that have said, if we do this, we can get through this virus faster. When we do that, we, we can take the time to stop just for a little while and spend time with God. Debbie and I were reading this morning about uh, in a devotion that said when somebody has cancer, the, the idea is not to read so much about cancer that you know everything about cancer, but to read more about God and understand that God is in control of that particular suffering. 
So if we translate that to what we're talking about here, instead of reading about the virus, instead of watching all the news stories, is that we spend time with God more and we pray more because of the situation and we have our focus there instead of on the outward circumstances of our life. It's a good time to slow down, refresh, and go back to God. And so the, the encouragement for us in this is don't be anxious, but be abiding. Paul wrote, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And then it, in John 15, he, uh, Jesus talks about abiding in the vine, abiding in Him. And so don't be anxious, but be abiding. The third point for us this morning is trusting God is best for us. Trusting God is best for us. Let's look at 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. That's a given. You don't want to go through the suffering that comes because you are supposed to suffer. It says, but yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so as we go through suffering, we say, God, you are worthy of all glory. And so suffering for God's glory is beneficial. We want God to be exalted through every bit of suffering. In verse 17, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Here's what Peter writes. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so Peter makes this distinction between those that belong to Christ and those that don't belong to Christ. And that Christians, even though they may suffer, we understand they have an eternal inheritance through Christ. Those that are not saved go through the judgment, the final judgment of God. And so suffering, suffering is not just for God's glory, but suffering helps us to identify God's followers. There is a difference. But this is what it says for those of us in Christ. Suffering responses identify God's followers. So this is what it says. This is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. He said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. See, our life, although we go through trial, is not ultimately put down and snuffed out. It is, it is held up because of the person of Christ. And it's in Him that we glory. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.14. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. And so we have this assurance that although we're suffering right now, although there is a, a trial at this point, that God will raise us and be our salvation. The psalmist put it like this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So, so the psalmist writes, trust Christ. Allow him to be your stronghold. Next, suffering produces a visible witness. Suffering produces a visible witness. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 2.15. It says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God uh, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So our lives reflect the fact that we belong to God. Peter wrote it like this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God, God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we have the opportunity to do good, the opportunity to be the aroma of Christ in the middle of suffering. And it's because we ultimately trust Christ. We trust that He knows what He's doing. We trust that God is sovereign, but He is also very interested in bringing Himself glory and our good. The psalmist writes, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Here's the question or, or the state, uh, a statement about this. If we can trust God for our destination, if we can trust Him for eternity, for salvation, for providing for us and securing us, why not trust Him for the path to get there? If He knows the destination and He's getting us there, why not trust Him for along the way? The last thing is that suffering produces a lasting legacy. Suffering produces a lasting legacy. It is probable that you will come across someone that you know that has either had the virus or is connected to somebody who has had the virus. And it's likely that not very far removed from you or your family is someone that has actually died from the coronavirus, COVID-19. And it's an unfortunate thing that anybody has to go through that. But it teaches us that our days are numbered. That there is a, a set time to the number of our days. And we don't have control over that. In fact, Scripture teaches us to look at our life and understand it is but a vapor. It is very temporary. And we live in a tent. This is how the psalmist wrote it in Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And then in verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Suffering produces a legacy. Suffering produces a legacy. And then how we deal with suffering, how we, how we deal with our trials, the fiery trials that test us, that produce in us a refinement and our character, how we deal with those will be seen by the generations that are after us. You see, we will look, as we looked at the history of the people that Peter wrote to, those exiles, as we look back at church history, as even we look back at our nation's history, we will look back at this time and say, this is how it was handled. This is what went well. This is what didn't go well. And we will evaluate those things. 
And when we talk about our life in Christ, when we look back and evaluate how we dealt with crisis, how we dealt with this trial, what will it say about us and what legacy will we leave to those behind us? So let me review. Trials will test us. God's Spirit rests on us and trusting God is best. So here are some final observations. Our circumstances are unavoidable. We, we can't avoid what is happening with the coronavirus. It doesn't really matter if we try to. We can't avoid it. The thing we have to understand is that we are not alone. We are not alone in our isolation. We, not, we are not alone in the possibility of depression or despair. But we go back to Scripture and we say, God, thank you for being a living hope. See, we are not alone. And although the circumstances are unavoidable, we're not by ourselves. The second thing, our circumstances are not terminal. Life is not going to stay this way. It's going to change. And, and that may be one of the hardest things about dealing with the coronavirus and the circumstances of life right now is the amount of change that has taken place within the last two months of life on earth. I mean, there's been a tremendous amount of change, and we push back on change. But we have to understand that, that change is part of it, and because this is not terminal, we will see change again. This is not the way it will remain. So we have to be prepared for that change. The last thing is our circumstances should not mitigate our love for God. Because we go through this, our love should not be diminished. Or our desire to share the gospel. If we have a passion to share the gospel when things are going well, or we have a passion to share the gospel for when we are hit with circumstances like we're going through now, it really should not matter. Our love for God and our want to share the God, wanting to share the gospel should be part of our life. So these circumstances should not change that. And so I want us to do something that's a little unusual, and I know by video I'm going to ask you to do something so you won't even be watching. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to listen very carefully to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 20. Because he has a word for us today as we go through circumstances like we're going through. So go ahead and close your eyes. Take a moment and let's read, or I'll read Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God, the God of Jacob, protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Then the psalmist writes, Now I know that the Lord saved, saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving might of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, 
but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. The psalmist writes this. So let's pray and ask God to, to apply Psalm 20 to us that we may gain a heart of wisdom as we go through these trials, that we may rejoice in the suffering that is ours, and that we would exalt Christ through this as we entrust our lives to Him. Let's pray. Oh God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the encouragement of Your Word. And Father, I know that as Peter writes this, his heart is heavy because of the suffering of the people he writes to. And yet he wants them to understand the seriousness of what they are going through and the opportunities that are ahead of them as they entrust their lives and their souls to you. So Father, I pray that you would help us to do the same thing, to receive Peter's letter, to receive the instruction from your word in a way that would encourage us strengthen us, make us bold for your name, that you would be glorified and honored. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, God has a purpose for us. He has an ultimate purpose for us. And, and as, as I was looking at Jeremiah chapter 13, I ran across a story where God tells Jeremiah to take some undergarments and put them in a river and hide them. And then sometime a bit later, in fact, a long time later, Jeremiah is told to go back and check those. And he pulls them out of the rock and the place where he had hid them. And they're, they're useless. They're, they're not of any use at all. Can't put them on. They don't do what they're supposed to do. And this is what God says, because um, God uses this visual of undergarments that is really close to us. He uses that as the picture for us to understand what he wants from his people. He says, For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I may the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might do what? This is what he wants for his people, and I believe this is what God wants for us, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. A people, a name, a praise, and a glory. A people after God's own heart. A name that people would recognize the hand of God on the people of God. A praise that it would lift up to God what He is deserving in worship. And a glory that God would receive the ultimate praise for who He is and how He has worked in believers' lives. Guys, I want to thank you for joining us this morning and realize that, that today is the day and the days following are days for us to be a people, a name, a praise, and a glory for God. So let's do that. Let's be the church wherever He has placed us. And as we go throughout this situation with the coronavirus, may God be praised through His people who are called by His name. And may God bless us. I look forward to seeing you very soon in person and that we can rejoice together about what God has done 
during this interim time. Thank you again for joining us, and I'll see you soon.